hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. One of our favorite parts of our job is all the amazing, diverse people we get to meet. And today's guest, CEO and founder of Euphoria, is one of those people. With apps such as Bliss, Devotion, Solace, and more coming down the pipeline, Euphoria is streamlining, simplifying, and lowering the cost of transitioning for its users. You're listening to Kate Anthony and Euphoria's story on episode 350 of the Queer Money Podcast. Let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So welcome, Kate Anthony of Euphoria to the Queer Money Podcast. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we met you for the first time. I think you and David were exchanging emails and text messages for a little bit. We, then were, we, met- we were actually on a podcast together. That's how we first met. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were. Yeah. Yeah. Which podcast was that? We were both guests on a podcast and it's slipping my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. But anyway, after the fact, we had the opportunity to meet you in Denver and have some drinks and talk business and life and everything. And it was really cool to meet you. But one of the things that really I, I, that stuck in my memory was you gave it like a really simple scientific reason for why LGBTQ people, but specifically trans people exist. And I think, I, I know you're speaking to the choir, to us and to our audience, but I think Many of us are maybe as eloquent in 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 explaining that, and I would love to maybe start the conversation off with that explanation, if you wouldn't mind repeating yourself. Sure, sure. I'll see if I can repeat said eloquence <laughs> without the cocktail. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so, yeah, we know that transgender people are a product of biology. This has been affirmed using fMRI imaging. We can look at brain patterns and kind of make observations that way. We can look at other physical characteristics and all the way down to our genes, we can see observable characteristics that affirm that transgender individuals suffer from a phenomenon called gender incongruence. So the body and the brain develop incongruently, and we use a process known as transition to correct the body and get it into alignment with the brain. And so the big question is, why does this happen? And we know that Mother Nature, she is creative but she is also very precise with what she does. And the fact that trans people like myself have existed for millennia implies that there's been a purpose. So it's admittedly a little bit of theory at this moment, but our best guess is that nature was looking for a type of human that could rebalance the gender parity in a group. And so this is like way before like modern civilization and society as we know it. We're really kind of thinking of like hunter-gatherer times. And nature probably thought it would be really handy that in case the gender imbalance happened within one of these groups, a LGBT individual could help kind of, you know, rebalance an effect. So trans people are an obvious example of that. But even LGB people could fulfill the role of caretakers that was generally more gender segregated during that time. So that's our leading theory and our leading suspicion as to why that phenomenon started. 
And in modern times, the expression of it may be a bit different, but it really comes back to kind of an assurance policy by nature. I love that. Yeah, I, I can never articulate it that well. So I'm going to have to put that, record that on my phone and make for people <laughs> when I'm challenged. Right. <laughs> I, it's, it is interesting how so often when we talk about things going well, we talk about balance, right? We talk about mm. our finances and our finances need to be balanced, right? We, our spending and our income need to be balanced in a way that works for the benefit of our household or for us individually. When we look at relationships, relationships work really well when the people in the relationship treat each other in a balanced manner. And here you're talking about civilization and biologically we do better when we're in balance, which makes complete sense. Do you feel like you're in a balanced relationship? That'll be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or an after the show episode. <laughs> so with that, you founded Euphoria in part because of the challenges that you experienced in your transition process. So would you please share a little bit about that with us and maybe elaborate on Euphoria's purpose and how, the, how you're helping the queer community, specifically the trans community now and in the future? Yeah, so I have been out for about eight years. So I've completed the vast majority of my transition. I have a few final things to get done, but I found the process incredibly arduous and difficult. It was an information landmine. You just didn't know where to look. The best information I could get on how to get something like hormones or how to find a surgeon was contained to like a forum on the internet. And to be seeking medical advice from strangers on the internet, that's a pretty desperate move. Yeah. It was the best of the best. And then the other alternative was to go to support groups typically congregated in basements at like Tuesday at a 7 p.m. And they were incredibly clandestine. You had to know someone to be able to get in. So the experience of transition was incredibly bottlenecked and gatekept by these various individuals. And I just thought to myself, there had to be tools that would allow people to be able to get through this process without having to know the right people. And what we have created in that, in, in the wake of that observation, is a suite of technologies that helps address the information gap when it comes to gender transition, the financial hurdles that individuals like myself will face, and all these other components that can be delivered in a digital vehicle that allows people to get care, even if they're not in supportive households, or if their locale is not particularly supportive. So it's it's a complex company, but at its core, what we're trying to do is accelerate people's gender transition by removing various barriers, whether they be information-based or financial-based. When you mentioned this to us the first time and you brought up the whole idea of not having services available to you, I, I, you know, I think that for the most part, a lot of us oftentimes think of these major meccas, major cities where we think or assume that there's better health care, better mental health care. There's the, the right things that are there for folks to transition, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have access to it. And it kind of reminds me of, I know the Williams Institute puts this map out from time to time. And I think, I want to say it's mapping project, but I can't remember the other one. But they put out these references as to where trans folks live across the country. And of course, we do see higher density populations of trans folks living in places like San Francisco and New York and places like that. But what you're really, really kind of highlighting is that we don't necessarily choose that 
this is who I am, right? That, that there's mm -hmm. biological factors going into play. And that doesn't necessarily mean it only happens in San Francisco and New York. So we do need access to these. And sometimes it's the it's having just a little bit more access that helps people realize that this is something that they can do, they can come out, or they can come out to themselves. I think that's exactly the point. I mean, when we think about individuals like Leela Alcorn, for example, you know, she was in a rural town in Ohio and being unable to access care ultimately cost her life. And so, you know, that is just something that we're always thinking about. Euphoria, our services are more popular in the rural just because there's a higher need for it. And to your point, like it is a geographically agnostic phenomenon because it's biology. Mother Nature doesn't care about borders. She disregards them, frankly. And so it is likely, we believe the phenomenon is about one in 50 people, that there's going to be a trans person in pretty much every corner of society. And running a digital company, we're seeing that. We're able to observe it. We see people from towns of hundreds use our service. And that's pretty surreal to think about, you know, when you think about just kind of the broader picture. So... Yeah. yeah. You know what I, I also find so interesting about what you just said is I see, I, I think I see this from mostly people on kind of on the right or the more religious right, but I also hear it from folks who are more centrist and maybe even some folks who are more on the left talking about how this is kind of a and I, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's the same thing that happened to, to gays and lesbians. This is a phase. It's something that mm -hmm. young people are going through, right? Oh, this is only happening a lot more now because it's popular, right? Kids in school are coming out as trans, and so they want to feel part of the in-group. And so they're, well, a person who's alone or maybe even just one other person in a small town in Ohio or in North Dakota or Alaska or, or anywhere, right? Like... It, that is not a popularity move. I'm not doing no. this because it's this is the I want to be more popular, I want to be part of some in group. It's this is your biology talking to you. And that's why it's, I love what you're doing is because you're fulfilling the need of those individuals who, like you said, are probably the ones who are most at need right now. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. One of the things that is great about what you're doing is that Euphoria really has like sort of a comprehensive offering that you're addressing the mental health, the emotional side of things, you're addressing the strategy for executing on the healthcare plan that makes sense for that particular person. Not everybody goes through the same sequence of events, the same pace or the same the same sequence. And you're also addressing the financial component. And you're doing that through, just so that folks understand is, correct me if I'm wrong, but the umbrella business is Euphoria, and then which is an app. And then underneath that, you have Bliss, Solace, Devotion, and a couple other things that are that are coming up in the pipeline. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that we think about it is that we have these different technologies that address different great pains. So a trans individual may have all the right requisite information to get through transition, which is a need that would be usually serviced by the app Solace. And 
that individual may only need just the financial side. So they're able to invoke that technology for its specific purpose. And I think what that does for us is that allows us to have kind of multiple points of entry. All roads lead to euphoria in some way. And so if someone's searching around in the dead of night saying, how do I afford transition? It's incredibly expensive. That solution can percolate to the top, becoming another point of access for an individual in need. But yeah, it's currently four unique apps, one service, and more apps are scheduled for next year and the years beyond. So are you saying then that Euphoria can tap into what that particular individual's biggest anxiety points are or the, the biggest pain points are so that it can customize, okay, maybe for you, you need to focus on the financial side first, whereas for somebody else, they might want to focus on the on the mental health side of things. And then yet somebody else would want to maybe first focus on the healthcare side of things. So it's customizing it for that particular individual. And you're taking into consideration several different inputs. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a great way of thinking about it. Because the thing that happens all too often to my community is that we have our agency and our dignity revoked, where there's someone else in the way telling us how to get things done. So for us, it was really important to meet people where they're at and allow them to self-select their journey. So you totally nailed it. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And we think it's partially responsible for our growth as individuals are really liking you know, that self-selected journey because no two trans people are the same. Right. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Now you lie. (laughs) So one of the things you just mentioned that you came out eight years ago and that you haven't completed transition to the place where you want to be, because we know it's a different place for, for everyone. But one of the things that you mentioned to us when we were talking in Denver was this whole idea of how you are, through these apps, making it cheaper for individuals to transition. You know, this is the Queer Money Podcast. And, and one of the things that we have talked about several times on the podcast is the is the costs, not just the, the costs of transition, but the costs of maintaining and the psychological mental health costs that are associated with it, making sure you're doing what's best for your health, your your mind as well. How is it that you are not only reducing the cost, but you mentioned reducing the time, which I think is a big one for folks' mental health. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a complex answer, but I'll, I'll do my best to kind of hit the top level points. So one of the ways we're doing it is just having the intelligence to understand how these transition goals, that's kind of how we quantify them, fit together. So, you know, particularly on the medical side, that's where about like two thirds of your major costs are going to come from about $100,000 in expected medical costs from transition. And so if we're able to compress care within a single plan year and kind of strategically do it, we can kind of cover a lot more services under one single out-of-pocket max. So that's one way we do it. But even it's just kind of a matter of a little bit of creativity, like when we're looking at private pay solutions, again, kind of thinking on the medical side of things, that's where we get some negotiating power as consumers. And so we were working with an individual and they were wanting to get a breast augmentation as an example. And that's a service that costs usually about $10,000. We found that a plastic surgeon in Vail will do it for $2,000. And the reason that works is because they have greater supply. 
because a lot of wealthy people are coming in there for what is deemed as cosmetic surgery. Uh, so for a transgender individual, we can send them into these wealthy enclaves and we've got more qualified surgeons, higher care, and they've done this time and time again, which dramatically drives down the costs. So it's that sequencing, it's that know-how, and it's having these massive data libraries that we've built that we can constantly reference to say, hey, we know how someone got through this in rural Wyoming, as an example, and here's the optimized pathway for you. And by stacking them together in the right timelines, we can make sure we get your legal paperwork filed while you're recovering from a surgery. We can help you build a wardrobe when you first start hormones, and we can layer on all these things in just the right way that you're able to get this done in about two years or less. And so that's the thrust. I don't want to minimize this. Well, first of all, Vail, it kind of blew my mind because Vail is is one of the most expensive places to live in or be in the country. So that's kind of hilarious. But we have seen time and again that what they call just-in-time delivery, right? Just-in-time mm -hmm. delivery, giving groceries delivered to a grocery store or items to a warehouse for manufacturing at the right time when they're needed has driven down the costs over and over and over again for a lot of businesses. And it's almost like you're doing this kind of just-in-time delivery on an individual basis for individuals who are trying to transition. And it's not just saving money for the folks who are transitioning. You're actually talking about saving money for the insurance providers, saving money for the facilities, because if they're doing things when they need to do them in the order that they need to do them, they can plan ahead and know what they need and do it in a, in a more cost-effective manner. So you're helping the whole process reduce down in time and money. I really, really like the framing of that just-in-time delivery. I haven't thought about that, but that, yeah, that is very much what we're doing. And that ability to be able to save people time, you touched on this point earlier, we see positive mental health outcomes and long-term health indicators for this patient population when we can have a quick transition. And from that, we see that people have better health outcomes, so lower long-term health insurance costs. They'll make more money, so it's actually stimulating the economy in some ways, and they'll have better financial footing. And pretty much everyone wins from these optimized deliveries of service. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess in some way, like Euphoria can be thought of as more of a logis logistics company <laughs> than a technology company. <laughs> the UPS so of transition. <laughs> <laughs> Boobies, right when you need them. <laughs> okay. So, I, so back to the, the Veil example, though. So I'm curious, to what extent are you doing geo-targeting. So for example, it might make sense for somebody from Wyoming to go to Vail, but maybe for somebody who it, you know lives in North Carolina, maybe it makes more sense for them to go to Connecticut for, I don't know, lack of a more comparable place, I guess. Are you factoring in geography and what makes most sense for that person based on where they, they live? Yeah. Yeah. So whenever we work with someone, it starts with a pretty simple question of, are we private pay or are we insurance? Mm -hmm. And so insurance has considerable constraints around it. And for some individuals, that is the only pathway forward. We get a lot more flexibility when there's private pay, whether that's using a financing option or cash. And so what we'll do is we will look at geography. We will determine kind of where's the closest place. We'll look at cost of fuel, we'll co the cost of flights, lodging and accommodations, uh, recovery timelines to factor into that. 
And that factors into the overall calculus of what is someone's most affordable option, what is their fastest option, so on and so forth. And so we've actually got a number of international clients right now. And that distance question is a big factor for cost. Because if you're heading out of like Eastern Europe, as an example, if you go to somewhere else in Europe versus coming to the States to get some work done, you could see a cost deviation to the order of thousands. So yeah, it's all part of the overall calculus. And what we can really drill down to is whether someone has insurance or not, we can say, hey, here's what your cost is going to be down to the penny. And here's what your most effective way forward. And here's what is in concert with your needs. And it's just nice to be able to return that to this community because we don't often get to make decisions like that. Right. It's right. a really nourishing experience to finally be able to have that choice of saying, well, this is what I want to do and have the means to access it. Right. Yeah. I'm curious, what is your margin of error for predicting the exact cost? You know what your margin of error is? I mean, it's probably within the deviation of like fuel prices. So back in 2019, there was legislation that was passed at the federal level that required hospitals to publish their costs with the big four insurance companies and on a cash basis. And in many states, if that estimate is incorrect, you can contest it and either have it paid for or adjusted accordingly. And so from those costs, we're able to be really precise. The legal costs are really straightforward. It's a lot of clerical filing fees. And even like the social cost of transition, we can get, you know, pretty close within that. So I'd maybe give us like a 5% buffer on most estimates. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when fuel costs are not fluctuating or inflation isn't running up and down as it has been, we're we're pretty on the money, literally. And you mentioned the social cost. Could you explain what that, what do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you go through transition you have some unique and unexpected costs, such as reconstructing an entire wardrobe. Depending on your taste, that can be very expensive. It can also be affordable. It can be done on a bit more of a budget. But if someone's got really high fashion taste, that's going to be a significant driver of costs. The other kind of hidden costs of social transition are the ones such as what happens if you get kicked out of your home? What's the cost of a down payment on a new home or your first and last month's rent at an apartment? And so those costs can be a bit more opaque and sometimes a little bit more surprising. And I think that's one of the values of our service is that we can help prepare people for that. And so we can say, we hope this never happens. But if you're going to come out to your family and you think they've got a pretty hostile opinion, you should have the money earmarked to be ready to move. And if it goes better than expected, you can reprovision those funds to other expenses. So we try to stay in front of it in that perspective. But yeah, the social costs are deeply hidden and, and hard to see coming at times. Yeah, no doubt. So I think that the financial, of course, because we're the money podcast, then the financial aspects of this are probably one that are most intriguing, as well as probably the easiest ones for two cis guys to understand, right? <laughs> It's a little bit easier for us to understand that. So one of the things that we were intrigued by was when we t- when we had the conversation and we were talking about the financial aspects of the app and how you kind of look at this as a modern banking platform. And maybe you could explain that portion of the app and your relationship with a comp- company called, is it Jico, that yeah. is a kind of facilitates some of this financial aspect. 
Yeah, so so Bliss is really focused around thinking about money as a unit of time and thinking about financial goals as a matter of achievability. So the conceit of the app is that we are looking at a user's list of transition goals, be it medical, legal, or social. That's the syntax we're very comfortable with. And so users are able to pick through this list and be able to say, I want this, I want that, I want these things. So I want a new passport that accurately has my gender presented. I would like to get maxillofacial surgery. I want to move to a more affirming city. And we can see those cost totals add up pretty quickly. And so what our users are able to do is they're able to deposit money into these accounts. Bliss, the financial app, is able to observe the frequency and cadence of that and be able to start doing some light kind of modeling in terms of when the user is going to be able to afford these various goals. And so it shifts the relationship. Instead of saying money is something that you need to hoard or you need to have a massive amount of it, it's saying that if we're able to put in X number of dollars on this consistent basis, we're going to be able to hit your goals on this timeline. And so from a banking perspective, we are able to do that with our partners, Chico. They allow us to help our users open accounts. And the money is held in treasury bills, which delivers a earnings that typically outperform like your standard like savings account at like your regular run-of-the-mill bank. And then particularly with the Fed rate hikes, the earnings are getting even higher. So yeah, it's a, it's a savings platform that really focuses on achieving things and not just hoarding money for the sake of it. I love that. And I think it's so broadly applicable to all of us, right? Most of us aren't working just because we'd like to go sit in the office and work. Most of us are working towards some goal, whether it's a vacation, a comfortable retirement, buying that house or putting the kids through school. If we could, I think if we could all sort of put money in that context that you're buying time to till you reach your goal, I think we would all be a lot more financially successful. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the, it, I think one of the things that is important here is to remember it's, it's an overarching goal but there's multiple goals underneath that, right? So I, I think that for many of us, we may say to ourselves, well, I have so many different goals in my life. I want to do the, you know, I want to save for a vacation. I want to save for a house. I want to save for retirement. And we have all the, well, we kind of, if we can all do it, could do the same thing. Yeah. We may come knock on your door for app building <laughs> a built, uh, assistance <laughs> yeah. here. But we built our fair money app. We're have to come, come talk to Kate. It's, it's a unique system. Like when we first put it online, we mostly had like just medical goals in the app that the users could pick from, but we had the ability for users to set custom goals. And we saw that people were starting to use the same tool to save up for down payments or to pay for college or to get a truck. And that's where it really kind of started to click in that this is a much broader kind of use case than just strictly yeah. transition. Then we recently added in a category of goals called hobbies. And so if users are trying to figure out who they are, what they want to do, and that's that's something that's broadly applicable to everyone, there are costs that are involved. People can set that, save for it, and then it gives you a date in the future of when it's going to be able to be real. And that just excites me. It's just a different relationship with money. It's a celebration, not a punishment. Right. Totally. And I think that's what I, I, I said this before, but I think what I love most about what you're doing is you you're re really are doing that 360 comprehensive experience. I think a lot of people, maybe who aren't transgender, a lot of people think transitioning is just transitioning. It's going from one gender to the next and that's it. But what you're 
spelling out for people is that there's so many other working, evolving components of that. And what you're trying to do with all the apps that you're you're building is trying to address all of those components. So it's it's a it's, it's a, just a full 360 experience. Yeah, yeah. It's a transition is not a light switch. It's a dimmer switch at best. It takes time, <laughs> patience, and there are like intervals. That. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's really cool. So I read in an interview where you mentioned that Euphoria is sort of gaming, gamifying transitioning. How exactly mm -hmm. are you doing that? Yeah, so it's through our uh, syntax goals. So the idea of transition is really overwhelming. Like even for cisgender people, the thought of how do you, how do you completely rearrange your body, life, and soul to comport with another gender? That's that's a really difficult process. So the way we do it is that we break all these individual actions into little goals. And within the apps, there's almost always a progress bar available. So as you go through these different goals, as you check off these milestones, you can see that progress bar moving forward. And it turns out human beings are extremely motivated by an incomplete progress bar. And so what we're able to do is that if someone is able to do something such as like choosing their name or going to get coffee as themselves for the first time, that still moves them forward in meaningful amount of progress even equivalent to those bigger goals that may feel more abstract and kind of require you to get the ball moving and rolling forward. Within the financial app, each goal that the user has on the home screen has a little progress bar beneath it. So as more money is going into in there, you can see all of your progress bars moving forward. It's a really exciting experience. And as they start to kind of max out, you get this really fun moment of being able to pick what you're going to be spending on. And since it's in this separate siloed account it kind of feels like free money so <laughs> but more than anything it's those progress bars they do something to us uh it's it's human catnip i tell y'all <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if it's all the years of us waiting for buffering on the internet <laughs> the, dial the old dial-up taught us all <laughs> i want it and i want it now <laughs> i think another brilliant brilliant thing that you mentioned over drinks was that euphoria's team is global and in part you do that so you get the best people working for euphoria for whatever it is that their their, their role is and not all of those people are transgender. Would you mind sort of sharing that, please? Yeah, yeah. So Euphoria is really unique in that way in that we probably have someone who's working on the tech, the platform, the company at 24 hours a day uh, just because of the different time zones. So we've been really fortunate to work with a lot of the tech talent these days is out in Eastern Europe. Ukraine is a huge, huge hub for tech talent. So we've had individuals out there. We are working with individuals in Malta, in Iceland, in Vietnam. And the tech talent is just simply better in a lot of cases than it is out here. For a young founder who doesn't have an enormous war chest, it's a lot more affordable. And so it's been this really unique experience because in all these cultures and all these different places, transgender people exist. The vernacular and the vocabulary may be different. And so we have individuals that are kind of bringing their own experiences into it. But yeah, I mean, to your point, one of the more surprising things about Euphoria is despite being trans-owned, the majority of the people that work on it are cisgender. And I think that comes from a place of dramatic and radical empathy. 
And I think people are just really excited to wake up and know that their work is going to directly impact lives and help people become who they are. And perhaps what they get out of it is an invitation to examine themselves and be courageous in their own lives, uh, maybe not as dramatic as transition, but able to take that home and say, you know what, I can be who I am too. So, yeah. And and I can't imagine that there isn't some value for the community and where where these folks live, if any of them, folks especially outside the U.S., have a family member, a friend, or they run into someone who is trans or in the process or wants to transition, that they wouldn't be super excited to tell them. And how supportive wouldn't would that be to hear that coming from somebody? Hey, I'm cisgender and I'm working on an app that makes transitioning easier and faster for folks all around the world. It's digital allyship. Yeah. You know, the digital world has changed everything. So, you know, while we're in the midst of a culture war and the struggle for trans rights, the fact that we can deploy solutions digitally and the that can reach people and that goes all the way down to the makers of it, I think is helping change perspectives and hearts and minds quicker. Because it does breed a lot of understanding. You know, I've worked with people who've never worked with someone like me. And within a month, you know, they're experts on the matter. And that profound empathy, it just becomes their zeal. And they're able to continue to just kind of be that candle in the darkness for others, especially in locales that visibility is even lower compared to the US. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you did mention that you're, you know, you're a young founder without the the biggest war chest there is. But I think part of Euphoria's exciting journey has been the funding that you've been able to get and the and the support you've been able to get. Some some notable folks, would you mind talking about how you've how you've done the tapped into the venture capital market and how you've gotten some notable support? Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of like I like to think about it is that I broke in a little bit of a renegade. Like I'm not from the Silicon Valley. I didn't have any contacts or intros. So when we started Euphoria, it was just this very kind of like small grassroots company built in my hometown, Spokane, Washington, a lot of local dollars that supported it. Back in 2019, that's really when the whole idea of trans tech started to catch on. And we saw other companies crop up that were doing other things, namely in the area of telemedicine. And so we got connected because there were only a handful of companies and we started you know, leaning into each other's networks. And through that, I got put in touch with my first investor, Chelsea Clinton. And so it was her that really gave euphoria kind of that first leg up to be able to say, hey, we've got this notable individual backing us. That's kind of a de facto due diligence in some way. She's a really smart woman. So if she's investing in us, you sh- you're a smart person. So vis-a-vis invest in us. And that process allowed us to eventually kind of climb the ranks. We started interacting with a company called Gangels. They're an LGBT investing syndicate and they pledged their support. And then they just kind of kept on coming on one by one. And we were able to put together a seed round through that process, excuse me, a pre-seed round. So we raised about a half million in total, um, which isn't a ton in the venture space. But for a completely new technology in a blue market, we're really content with it. And those names that have been attached to us extend us kind of continued credibility as we look to fundraise again, or as we talk with new investors 
or as we just kind of roll out our track record as, you know, evidence, you know, for accelerator programs or, you know, even talking to the press or even conversations like this. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so exciting because, you know, being, you know, finance people, the venture capital investing, crowdfunding, we're constantly talking about that, looking at that ourselves. And so it's cool to see a company from our community who's kind of tapping into that at a grassroots level. And to your point, you're not from Silicon Valley. You you didn't really have anybody in, in, in either space, yet you're able to sort of, I like it, renegade, break into it and, and make it happen. Right. It was It was very much that adage, be so good they can't ignore you. And I think that's something that our community, the LGBT as a whole, is very familiar with. And and I think that worked in our favor. So yeah, yeah, it's just very cool to be a trailblazer in that respect. So I'm curious from a psychological perspective, for somebody else who's listening who has their app idea in the back of their head that they're afraid to present to people or whatever company it is that they want to found or project they want to kickstart. How did you get the courage to even move forward to take that first step to start getting that momentum to be that renegade? Yeah, so I, I took a bit of a, a guess in terms of the products themselves. One of the things that have always served me well as an entrepreneur is that I design for myself because I believe that all consumers are a lot more similar than we think. And so I made something that I really loved and I was excited about and that I almost compulsively built because it was so interesting. And it turns out that there's a lot of people like me and there's a lot of individuals who share similar passions, whether it's for the design of it or for the functionality. And so I think for the other individuals out there that are considering their own app, if it's something that really motivates you and makes you really excited, other people are going to love it. So trust yourself. And if you found something that has resonance, you've done all the hard work. You can do a focus group if you want, but they're really just going to confirm the same thing. And if at any point you start building something that doesn't get you fired up, yeah, then you need a course correct. But if your heart's beating over an idea, go for it. It's going to be a success. I can promise that. Nice. Love that. So you also said in an interview once that you wanted Euphoria to be the Adobe equivalent. What does that mean? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Adobe, the way they've done their creative suite there's a tool for everything. And it just feels like going to a store every single time. And if you've got that like subscription, like it's going shopping, like, do I need Photoshop today? Do I need Premiere today? Do I need Dreamweaver? I've never heard of this tool. I want to try it on. And so there's like this very fun experience with the idea of a collection, but it's also incredibly utilitarian. I'm not wasting my time sifting through a, you know, one mega app, you know, that does everything. Instead, I'm using very specialized equipment for the job that is called for. So when I think about the architecture of Euphoria and what we aspire to be, I want to see that for the transgender community. I want to see more tools and offerings that people can plug into that meets them at the moment. That even if someone has completed their transition, we still have a service that speaks to them and helps them in their life in some meaningful way. And it kind of creates this a little bit of a come and go relationship. And allows us as a firm to really focus on the service that we're providing and not metrics like stickiness and how do we get people to use the apps longer. Instead, it's that friendly relationship of, you know, come as you are, come when you need, but also leave when you're done and you can always revisit. So a little metaphor intense there, but that's <laughs> kind of the idea behind that desire. No, I it, love it. And it's a little bit less 
aggressive, then we want to track you for the rest of your life and make sure you never get off this app. Right. <laughs> yeah. Die, yeah. Squeeze as yeah. much out of you as you can. <laughs> With that in mind, let's talk a little bit about your success. So how many how many users do you see using your suite of products and and, and how has that how has that process worked out for you? Yeah. So currently most of our technology is region locked to the US. So by the end of the year we're expecting a hundred thousand users. Yeah, yeah. And we are having people currently bootlegging the software to use it in other countries. We haven't released it yet. So because of that, we're not entirely sure of the actual user accounts, the total numbers, that is, because there are these kind of illicit versions running around. But that being said, 100,000 users is a pretty significant chunk, particularly for the transgender community. It's a smaller population. It's also a very hard to find population. And that has kind of been our defining signature to date in terms of why Euphoria keeps pedaling along. And for the longest time, we didn't share those numbers. We were really scared that it put a bigger target on our back by being open about that. But we've since changed our tune because we're very proud of it. Right. And we want to show people that there's a lot of people who've navigated these really daunting aspects of their life using our technology. So if all these people did it, you can too, and you're not going to be the exception to the rule. This is not going to fail you, and you're not going to be a failure. So 100,000 souls and counting. So my guess is that your target client probably isn't reading TechCrunch every month. So probably what kind not. of advertising are you doing, or how are you connecting with the community? Is it all word of mouth, or how are they, how are they finding you? It's mostly word of mouth. That is our suspicion. But we also employ pretty stellar SEO, so search engine optimization, and then the App Store equivalent ASO, so App Store optimization. And so what that allows us to do is meet people as they are kind of punching in the great questions in the dead of night. Right. So we'll see our downloads spike between like 2 and 4 a.m. And what's happening is that people are going to the App Store and they're typing in something to the effect of, oh my God, I'm transgender. What do I do? And our solutions just continue to climb those ranks. And it's gotten to the point within the app stores, they've re-understood the words of our applications as words of the transgender community. They mm -hmm. associate the word solace with transgender. Mm -hmm. They link the word bliss with transgender. And so whenever people are kind of coming out and they're using those foundational tools that is search, we're able to show up pretty high in those lists and appear as a candle in the darkness. Interesting. I didn't know that there was app SEO. <laughs> now we do. <laughs> I was proud of myself ever... for knowing that there was SEO. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what's next for Euphoria? You kind of hinted that there's more stuff coming out. Do you mind giving us a little bit of a prelude? Yeah, yeah. So next month, or depending on when this episode comes out, that unit of time forward, we're going to be releasing our debit cards for our fintech platform, Bliss. We are incredibly excited about these cards. They are Visa cards. We can put the user's true name on it, even if that isn't their legal name. And it's got this really unique cashback function that I'm not totally ready to talk about. So <laughs> stay tuned on that one. And then we have our third flagship app, Catharsis, that we are working on. So potentially a release next year. 
maybe even a little bit longer, kind of depending on how development goes. But those are the kind of the two big developments on the horizon. Um, the nice thing about working at Euphoria, the same goes for myself and our team, is that we're just constantly throwing ideas at the wall. So it's not too uncommon for us to leave on a Friday with some idea, come back on Monday with a prototype, and by next Friday, have a new app launched. So maybe between now and the episode coming out, there's going to be like four more apps. Uh, apologies if that's the case, but. You need that's... like a reality show to watch like your team work and create content. That'd right. be some advertising for you. As the world turns in app development at Euphoria. That'd be so cool. So I think for the longest time, you know, we used to be called the LGBT community. And quite honestly, it felt like, you know, we had the T's there, but there was really hardly any any public representation of them except for maybe at pride once a year so with that how can how can the l's the g's and the b's support what you're doing and better support the trans community i really love that question because if there is a time for support it's now we see where things are going right now we're living in a, in, in hostile times towards trans people so the support is really material and what that looks like is, is two kind of critical things in my mind. One, it is giving trans people platform, very much like what y'all are doing right now, uh, allowing me to speak, allowing me to spread my ideas and my thoughts and my calls to action. That is an enormous amount of support. So for the L's, the G's, and the B's, continue to create space for trans people. That's, that's a big help. The second one is to support trans people who are making a difference. So whether that is spreading the word about technologies that help people get through transition, supporting grassroots leaders, supporting nonprofits that are helping the fight in the courts that we're seeing right now, whether that's ACLU, Land Legal, or some of the other fantastic NGOs out there, those are the best ways to support. And I guess I'll just amend one other one on is that if you see something, say something. If you see someone like me getting picked on by strangers, stand up say something, call them out for it, let them know that they're not able to get away with that. Even if you can't stop someone from perpetuating an attack or harassment, calling it out and letting them know that they've got eyes on them is a phenomenal form of deterrence from that incident or ones moving forward. So use your voices, share your voices and follow the leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll continue to try to do what, what we can and hopefully do better at it. With all that, where can our listeners connect with you on social media, on podcasts, on the internet, cyberspace, yeah. all that stuff? <laughs> yeah. So all of our social handles are Euphoria LGBT. So you can find us on the usual suspects, such as LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff. Our website, all the convention of www.euphoria.lgbt. And then all of our apps follow a similar convention. I personally don't use a ton of social media, but if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, you can find me at Kate Anthony, subtitle CEO of Euphoria. I'm pretty easy to recognize. <laughs> and we can keep the conversation going there. I love that. And we didn't send this to you in advance, but will you be doing any funding in the future that some of our listeners might want to participate in? We might be. We might be. So we are looking towards potential seed round. So we would be looking for accredited investors. So I'm guessing your listeners know what that threshold is. And if they're listening to this, feel free to drop me an email if y'all want to participate. 
to be clear, SEC, that is not a call for public solicitation. But y'all are welcome to stay in touch and be part of the journey. And we'll certainly make more noise about that as time permits. Awesome. Well, thank thanks. you so much for what you're doing. But sorry, I was just going to say thanks for throwing in the disclosure because that is an important <laughs> one, right? We, we are not yes. actually offering financial advice. This is all for education and in some cases, entertainment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so thank you for everything you're doing. I think what you're doing is just, I think, exciting and, and profound. And, and I can't wait to see how everything evolves. And thank you so much for, for giving us your time and sharing your story and your mission on our podcast. I, I know that our listeners are going to love this. Yes. Thank you both. And thank you to everyone who's listened. That's demonstrating allyship. Thanks, y'all. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Kate, for sharing your time and expertise with us and for doing what you're doing for the trans community. Thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of the podcast. Here's your takeaway from this episode. If you want to transition, are transitioning right now, or know someone who is, please visit euphoria.lgbt and download the Euphoria app. Then join us on Thursday for another bonus episode of the Queer Money Podcast and next Tuesday for our regularly scheduled episode. Have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.